So Money episode 915, Sarah Dean, creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think mom guilt is a social construct Mm -hmm. designed by men. And so women have been indoctrinated to feel bad about the choices that they make when they aren't prioritizing their kids and family. Are you a shameless mother? Our guest wants you to be. She believes that moms need to be a little more selfish with their time, prioritize themselves, and be shameless in their pursuit to live bigger, bolder, and braver. Hashtag every damn day. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is Sarah Dean. And when she became a mom, she expected life to be rainbows and unicorns every day. She'd gone through two years and nine rounds of fertility treatments to have her son, but Soon after he was born, she had what she calls an identity crisis. She decided to then use her background in psychology, health, and wellness to rebuild her identity one step at a time, and through that, began helping other mothers do the same through her Shameless Mom Academy podcast, a top-rated show now with nearly 2 million downloads. This isn't Sarah's first business. She grew multiple businesses to the multiple six-figure mark prior to this and recently sold an award-winning gym that she she had started in Seattle. Very excited to speak with Sarah about what it means to be a shameless mom. Here we go. Here's Sarah Dean. Sarah Dean, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Woman taking over the world, helping moms out there. Everybody who is a mom listening or is going to be a mom someday. I think dad should also listen to your podcast. You're the host of Shameless Mom Academy (laughs) podcast. It's a top rated show with nearly 2 million downloads. Your journey to this podcast um, really comes after so many other successes as an entrepreneur, a business owner, but really what was the catalyst was becoming a mom. And for the first time in probably your adult life, feeling as you call it, crippled, you had a crippling identity crisis. So let's start there before we go on to all of the things. I have so many questions for you, but maybe let's start with the why of this podcast, which has really become a movement and a community for all kinds of moms, which I really appreciate. But what was that crippling identity crisis all about? So I, it took us a couple of years to get pregnant, a lot of infertility stuff. Um, and then I had this baby and thought like, now all the magic should happen. And it was so hard <laughs> and I did not expect that. And I was very internally conflicted because I thought I should feel really grateful. This was very hard for us to come by, to have this miracle baby finally arrived in our arms. And it was very challenging. So there was that piece of it right there. And then there was another piece of it that I had built a business. Um, I was in the fitness industry and I I built a gym that I owned and I was had been in that business for over 10 years at the point when my son was born. And I had built this whole business around selling weight loss programs and helping women shrink in their bodies. And I realized at a certain point after I had my son that like I built a business that is was no longer in alignment with my core values. For me to help and my I serve mostly moms in this business. And I thought for me to help to focus as a primary goal in life on helping women like melt belly fat just felt 
really ridiculous and inappropriate. <laughs> and I had, I tried to think of like, how can I reframe this business? But I was kind of known for these weight loss programs and helping women shrink their bodies. And just the further I got into my motherhood journey, the more I was like, I'm doing a disservice to women by maintaining this business that's built around shrinkage. And so that's where the podcast was born. I was like, I want to build a place where women can take up space and grow and expand and like stand in their power poses to take a seat at any, in any conversation or at any boardroom table and really own their power, regardless of whether or not they have a six pack or wiggly triceps or back fat. Like that's so insignificant and demeaning when we lead with those pieces of our identity. And I think that many women are conditioned to do so. So I, I had to do a reframe. Whoa. I so applaud you on that because I don't think that you're what you're doing is you're in your own lane here because I feel like so much of what we do see and the the pressure that we feel is about how to quickly get back into your size, whatever genes after right. you have your baby. And, you know, what's modeled out there for us, quite frankly, from celebrities and royal people, uh, <laughs> yes. they shall go unnamed, but you know what I'm talking right. about. Um, it's like unbelievable. Like how did they how how are they doing this? And then why why should I be doing like should I get back into my size whatever jeans? And it's right. it's a lot of unhealthy pressure. And you're right, it, it's focusing on absolutely the wrong things. And so when you made this conscious decision to transition, um, how did you rebuild your like identity from there? So I decided that I wanted to start having different kinds of conversations. And I think one of the big things that women do is that we wait. First of all, we don't qualify ourselves. And then we wait for the quote unquote right time or best time. And I wanted to qualify myself for having bigger conversations just by virtue of being a mom and a woman who had a lot of life experience. And so I did that. I was like, I was actually listening to podcasts that a lot of men were hosting. I'm sure you've listened to many of the same ones. And I was mm -hmm. like, these guys are not uniquely qualified or special. Like if they can do this, I can do this. And not to say that they weren't smart or anything, but I was like, I can do this too. And then the other piece of it was that I was like, there's not going to be a better time. Life is always going to be hectic and chaotic and overly busy, especially if I'm embracing it as being that way. So I'm just going to decide that now is the right time. I'm qualified and now is the right time. And I'm going to go start having these conversations. So I started the podcast very strictly as a passion project, just to start leaning into these conversations and see how they felt. And pretty quickly, I was like, this needs to be like my thing my full thing, my only thing, not so much my gym thing anymore. And, and so then I decided to sell the, my gym business. Um, and go full-time into the, building a business around the podcast. What I think is really exceptional, another thing about your podcast, I was re like kind of, I get, I like to read reviews just because mm. I think it can give you a bit of a snapshot of who's listening, yeah. right? And the diversity of mothers that listen to your show, it's really, I think, uh, hard to find a platform online, frankly, that is welcoming to all mothers of all shapes and sizes, right? Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I think that, there's this thing called the mommy wars, right? Where we feel like mm. we're all judging each other. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm a working mom. And well, I'm my kids are going to be less screwed up than yours. And all our kids are going to grow up screwed, you know? Like, so <laughs> it's just totally. a degree of screwiness. Um, <laughs> right. But I think what you've done is so magical is that you've got all kinds of mothers listening. And what do you think has been the common thread? You've obviously thought about this because it can be really easy to just kind of be a, a podcast for a certain type of mom. 
Yeah. So I was pretty clear early on that I wanted to have a diversity of experiences, diversity of stories. Um, <clears throat> I also, I knew that I didn't want to just share my perspective and my, my experience. And so as I started having guests, I really made it about their stories and how they related to women in different ways. And as I got more and more invested in people's stories, rather than just having people on who could provide services to my, to my audience, um, I was able to see how powerful it is for women who look all sorts of different ways and have all sorts of different backgrounds to come on, share their story and have really all the same pain points as other women. And so I've been really clear and careful and intentional now around building community that is about a diversity of experiences, diversity and stories, but really pulling in the common threads. And instead of having story, instead of us holding on to our secret lies that we think divide us, so our past traumas, the things maybe we didn't have when we were younger, our, maybe our current situations of maybe not having money or not having a great job that we love or not having a great marriage or maybe coming out of an abusive relationship. Instead of having those things be things that we think need to divide us from each other and separate us, using those um, experiences and life experiences as the things that unite us because those are actually common threads um, between women. And so I talk a lot about all of the ways that we are united rather than divided. And I think that that now makes it, makes my community feel like they all can relate to each other, um, even if they come from very different backgrounds. And so I see this happening all the time with women who would probably never seek each other out in a crowd, who've gotten to be really, really good friends in our community because we have united each other or united with each other over our stories. Absolutely. I, one of the things that I recommend, which is not always popular, but I, I feel like it's really important to be that for me to say this because I think no one else will really say this out loud, uh, but it's important is that when you don't work as a mom, when you don't, or rather don't have any source of your own income, I think that can be a really scary place to be in. I don't know if anyone disagrees with that necessarily, but I worry for a lot of moms and dads, frankly, anybody in a relationship who isn't, um, doesn't have any financial autonomy, like doesn't have their own savings, income. And so does that come up on your show? And do you have thoughts on this? Because I'm very, while I don't have a lot of opinions otherwise on how to raise your kids or whatever, like how to design your family and your parenting style, I do feel very strongly about this. So yeah, I think that you bring up a really interesting point. And I have women in my community who are financially independent. And I have others who are, who are not, who their work is in the home. Um, and they don't, they're not bringing home a paycheck for that. Um, and I think that you have to look at, so me personally, like I come from a background where I was raised by a single mom who financial independence was like a top value for her because otherwise, how are we going to get by? And so I very much have like a ton of pressure I put on myself around financial independence. And I'm always like, if something happens to my husband or our marriage, like (laughs) I know my next 13 steps right off the top of my head. Um, But I also think that there's other, I think there's ways that women who aren't bringing in income can build security around that. I don't want to minimize people who are, you know, who are choosing to stay at home. Um, but I do agree with you that they need to have some sort of plan or um, financial autonomy, as you put it, that if something were to happen, they would be taken care of. And 
I don't know if compensated is the right word, but compensated for the work that they're doing. It's not like they're not doing work. Right. So what's the plan then if something falls apart, goes sideways, blows up, like how are they taken care of? Because that's, they're very much worthy of that compensation and that, and that security, even though they aren't bringing home a paycheck on a regular basis. I don't disagree. I I think, you know, don't call it an allowance for Christ's sake, but, but do something where maybe you have an allocation going into your personal account from your spouse's paycheck every month that you guys talk through and you kind of come to a conclusion about what would be fair. um, And that goes into savings. And I think also to thinking about things like, does your spouse have life insurance? Does your spouse contribute enough to their 401k? And, And that are you the beneficiary of that in case they pass away, like making sure these, some of these, like just, you know, uh, legalese signing on the dotted line, fine print issues can, can come to haunt you if you're not careful Mm -hmm. and you don't know what protections to put into place. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, again, marginalize or minimalize people who choose to be stay-at-home parents, I just want to say to them, I wish for them for a day, an exit strategy where like, you know what, your kids are going to be in school someday. So let's think about the future and how you can re- Act if you choose to, like get it back in there and make some of your own money. It doesn't mean going to work full time, going 100 miles per hour, but uh, you know, some amount that you therefore you would feel more secure. Right, right. And I would say, I have the same plan and I'm a kind of a major worry wart and a planner, but like I have financial independence in terms of like, I do bring money into the household, but also, and I, my friends, I joke with my friends about this because I'm like, I have a plan for if something happens to my husband or if some, if, if, if our marriage blew up tomorrow, I know what I would do and I would be taken care of. So I, <laughs> oh, you know, have, what would you do? <laughs> so I actually had what this, is plan this when plan? we were dating. This started when we were dating because he bought a house, which I moved into and I started paying him rent. And I, at a certain point was like, so if we break up, like I've given you all this rent, but you're getting all the equity in the house. Like that's not cool. And so my plan at the time was like, well, I'm just taking the dog then. Like That was my plan. Like I would just punish him by taking the dog, but he would get all this equity. So I kind of started realizing at this time. And again, I think it comes from being a child with, you know, of a of divorced parents and a mom who had, you know, really struggled paycheck to paycheck at times. Um, so I going into marriage, have been thoughtful around this. And so we have two houses and we have one's a rental property. And so I know that like, if something happened, if, if my husband died tomorrow, God forbid, like we have life insurance in place, I know which house I would sell, which house I would keep, or if I could potentially sell both of them. And I know how I would downsize. Like I would move into a townhouse that's adjoined with other townhouses with a very tiny yard that I could pay off, pay in cash for. So there's these little things that I have planned. If we were to get divorced, then I know how the, um, and we haven't had conversations around You know this, how the we, chips are going to fall and you're going to be in control yeah, of it. Right. I mean, I definitely, can. it's like, it's on my mind, not yeah. on my mind on a daily basis, but like I've thought it through. Um, and, and I, I think some people think that's weird, but it gives me peace of mind to know like this is the direction things would go and this is how I would take care of myself, even if it involved a court battle. Oh, well, I I think it's something to aspire to. You've gotten my wheels turning and it kind of is a nice transition to ask the question that I ask of a lot of guests, which is, you know, looking back at your childhood, you did mention your your single working mom. um, What do you think it was about your upbringing that 
like, was there a moment, maybe a, a you know, a memory that kind of captures the essence of who you are today as somebody who is really proactive and thoughtful about? Sounds like a lot of things, yeah. but also your money. <laughs> Worrywart. Yeah, worrywart. <laughs> um, so this is so interesting, and I didn't realize this until. Uh, as we were approaching getting married, we decided to do a little bit of pre-marriage counseling. And one of the things that came up was money. And the therapist said, she said, everyone comes into relationships with money and you, you each have a relationship with money and then you have your relationship together with money. And we started kind of digging into our relationships with money independently. And this was like, I had never considered this before. So it was definitely kind of an aha moment for me. But I thought, oh my gosh, I've always, everyone around me has always had a lot of scarcity mindset around money. And so what is happening, like, as I bring that into marriage? And so that was kind of what started me off thinking about how I was raised. But I was also raised by a mom who was so structured around money and disciplined around money that that was kind of the only thing that I, well, it wasn't the only thing I knew. So I saw that piece of it. And then I saw my dad who was the opposite. Like if he had an extra dollar in his pocket, he was like, where can I spend it? Where can I spend it? And how fast can I spend it? So he, anytime he would like get a raise, he'd go buy a boat or go buy a motorcycle or whatever. And my mom was like, we can pay down debt and I can prepay the daycare bill. Like Mm. they could not have been more opposite. And so, I mean, I don't know if it's nature versus nurture that I was just born more like my mom or that I saw what she did, but I definitely am more conservative around saving and being prepared and always kind of having a backup plan um, versus my dad who was like, what toy can I buy now that I have a little bit of extra? Um, And so I think that for me and just being kind of being that more worry work personality type, um, I need peace of mind around things, around money, around stability, around security. Like security is one of my very top core values. And so it's not surprising. Like I build security into a lot of areas of my life and finance, finances is just one of them. I like it. Well, you, you talked, you've been talking a lot about core values. It's, it seems like it's a real big part of how you become this shameless mom. Can you define a little bit more about who the shameless mom is or what are some of the ideals around shameless mom? Yeah. I think I actually had to do an exercise around core values a few years ago. I was at a friend's workshop and she had us sit down and prioritize. I think she gave us like 40 or 50 different core value words and we had to pick the top, our top five. And I was crying. <laughs> I was like, this is so hard and it's so unfair that we can only pick five um, because it was, it was really hard, but it also helped me get really clear on what is most important to me. And so when you know what your core values are, then you can, you have a lens through which you can make decisions. So that's actually been really helpful to me as I've made decisions around the Shameless Mom Academy, around what I want to build for other women. And so a lot of it for me is around security and stability, but also around independence, around integrity, around compassion. And so as I built a community, I've been really clear and vocal about these are the core values of this community. And this is who we are inviting in. And I expect you to show, like, I'm going to show up in high integrity and I expect you to do the same. I don't expect you to show up perfectly, but I expect you to show up in high integrity and I expect you to show up compassionately. And I've kicked people out of my community for not being empathetic and compassionate and for being discriminatory. And I've done that in very public ways and made examples of them to let them know, to let the community know, 
I will protect this community because of the core values that I uphold as our very top priority. And so I think when it comes to being a shameless mom, really recognizing what are your core values is going to be the driving force behind how you make decisions. And so um, one of the things we talk a lot about is ask seeking support over permission. So as a shameless mom, I don't ask for permission to do things. I might ask my partner for support, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask for permission because at the crux of it, like I'm an independent woman. And if there's something that I need to do for my own well-being, I'm not going to ask my husband's permission to do it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be respectful about how I go about asking for it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to make sure that I get what I need for myself, whether that's in my marriage, whether that's in my professional environment. I mean, that's why I ended up walking away and selling my business that no longer was in alignment with my values. So I think that's at the crux of being a shameless mom knowing what those values are, how you stand up for them, um, and how you uphold them in trying times as well. Mom guilt, hashtag mom guilt. <laughs> I'm sure it comes up a lot on your show. And I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I can only speak from my own experience, you know, as a working mom. I think, you know, I think I don't have a lot of it. I don't really, I, I think I'm really conscious of going down that deep, dark place of starting to feel inadequate as a mother simply because I'm not maybe around as much as other mothers, but I'm around, I'm around a lot. I make sure of it because I, and I've, I've been really strategic. Like I don't have morning meetings on purpose. I don't travel more than one or two nights and it has to be paid. I have these non-negotiables, uh, that I established after becoming a mother because I wanted to find a way to create a framework because if you don't have order, it's very easy to slip into feelings of, um, inadequacy and, and just overwhelm and craziness. And so what yeah. have been some of your um, non-negotiables and what's your, like your framework so that you can avoid mom guilt? So I actually did a episode called mom guilt is a myth. And so, um, and that's not to say that people don't have very legitimate awful, sometimes crippling feelings around mom guilt. But I think mom guilt is a social construct Mm -hmm. designed by men. And so women have been indoctrinated to feel bad about the choices that they make when they aren't prioritizing their kids and family. And that's a social construct. That is not, so we have been indoctrinated to feel bad about these our choices. This is not something that needs to happen, but we have to train our way out of it. And we have to stand up and say, like, I'm not going to feel bad for traveling. And so I travel. In fact, I mean, I think I've had seven trips in the last eight weeks, um, which has been an exceptionally high amount of travel. (laughs) But I've been really open talking about, like, this is what I'm doing right now. And also, like, letting people know this is not something that I recommend people aspire to have. And some of that has been family travel, too. So we've had a couple of family vacations, and then I've had some work stuff. But I don't have guilt around that. Because if my husband had the same thing, would he have guilt around it? And would anyone question him if he had, like, four work trips in six weeks? Would anyone question him? They probably instead would say, well, look how ambitious he is. He's really moving up the ranks over there with all his work travel and making things happen and making connections and like being such a hustler. But when women do it, it's like, well, but who's making dinner? And like her, her, her poor, her poor son and her poor husband. And it's just a totally different construct. And so I don't subscribe to the social construct of mom guilt because I think that it's BS that has been created by men. Um, not everyone might agree with that, but so that doesn't mean that I don't feel bad. Sometimes I don't feel bad if my child is sad, that I'm not going to be there for something. 
we recently had a time I went out of town and he always gives me a lovey to take with me. Hmm. And I left the lovey on my dresser and he saw it and he was a disaster. (laughs) And my husband, my husband was like, you traveling is not the problem, but you forgetting the lovey is a huge problem. (laughs) Yeah. All that. And so like I, Right. And I felt horrible. And so I was like, okay, Vinny, from now on, like, you're going to help me. We're going to put the lovey in the suitcase together. And like, we made a big thing. I'm going to take pictures of it when we get, when I get to the hotel. Um, so I felt really bad about that, but I don't feel bad about building something. And I don't feel bad for the level of hustle that is required in what I'm building. And I'm really conscientious. I mean, like you just said, you have a lot of flexibility when I'm here. I'm so on, I'm so engaged. Like I make dinner every single night for my family when I'm home. So I don't feel bad if I'm not home, you know, like next week I'm going to be gone two nights. I'm not going to feel bad about it because I'm making seven dinners this week. You know, I'm doing bedtime stories and all that stuff. I'm dropping my kid off at camp. I'm picking him up early to go get ice cream, all these kinds of things. So I think that when I find myself falling into that feeling of like, oh, am I, you know, is he feeling sad? Have I done something that maybe he feels like he's not getting enough of me? I fix that with quality time, not always quantity of time if I don't have it, but I fix it with quality time. And that makes me, makes us both feel better. I remember when I was uh, researching for my book, When She Makes More, I was talking to at the time, a lot of working moms and one mother who was further along in her, um, role as a mom. She has like now teenagers, but at the time they were like tweens. And she said to me, and I was not even pregnant yet, or I was expecting. And she said to me, you know, the best time to, um, kind of work your ass off as a mom, like, you know, make money, work at your career is in the early years of, of parenthood. If it's possible, the reason is, is because the older your kids get, Actually, that's when they really start to need you um, in in ways that really can only be solved by your presence and time. Um, you know, and and she gave her own example of you know when my kids were younger, I I hired a lot of help and I made sure that I got to a really high place in my career so that when they were older, I could call more shots in my own career. I could, you know, I had a savings cushion. I could leave the job. I could transition to self-employment and it was only because I made the trade-off when they were younger to work extra hard and maybe it meant not seeing them as much when they were like six months, one year. And maybe it meant bottle feeding as opposed to breastfeeding. But then when they were 9, 10, 11 and were you know, in the car and they're asking me about bullies and sex and all these really tough topics that they need me now for more than ever, it's like yeah. she's like, I wish it wasn't this kind of a trade-off. I wish that we could always be ever present for our families. But if there is, but she just, it was interesting perspective, right? And I don't think she's alone in that. I actually think I read a whole Wall Street Journal article about this. So I don't know if that's something that you. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I have this, my, my joking hashtag is um, create, creating codependent kids because I only have one child and I'm obsessed with him, even though I have a lot of independence in my family in my family dynamics and work. um, I'm obsessed with this one child. And because he's my only one, I have like this level of investment sometimes that I feel like might not always be healthy for both of us. So I have this hashtag creating codependent kids, but I love this idea. Like I want to be there for all those conversations. I would be upset if my husband got to have that, those, the drugs, sex, whatever conversation instead of me, I'd be like, Oh wait, that means I missed something. Like I would have FOMO over that. So I, 
actually really love that philosophy. Um, not that I technically or literally want a codependent child, but I absolutely want to be there for those big things. And yeah, I mean, right now he's six. Like if I miss his soccer game when he's six, it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but when he's 16 and it's a playoff, totally different. Yeah. So yeah, I actually, I think that's a great philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think also because it, it suggests also that when you first have kids that w- – when are women having kids, right? We're having women – we're having kids much later in life. In New yeah. York City, the average age for a woman to get pregnant for the first time is 38 – According wow. to my according to my OBGYN, that's just a that's just anecdotal. But like in my OBGYN's office on the Upper West Side, which is a pretty big Manhattan cohort, um, she says her average female patient is thirty eight years old for first time pregnancy. Wow, and so, so interesting, yeah. And so, who are these women? Typically, you know, women who are working and at thirty eight. You know, your a survey just came out that said that women's earnings peak at. 43 now. Before that survey, it was 39 years old. So you're kind of having kids at a time in your career, if you're working, where your earnings potential is coinciding with motherhood. And opting out at that time for a lengthy period of time, I mean, I don't have to tell you that's going to set you back financially. Right. If that is not, if that is important to you, to not have that happen, I think it's important to find a way to kind of create some sort of integration or a plan sooner than later to get back in the workforce. And part of that is obviously um, working for an employer that is sympathetic to this. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. not every employer is yet, but also to the extent that you can control your ability to get back in the workforce sooner than later, i.e. having a savings to pay for childcare, um, having a really proactive partner. I mean, let's be honest, who you marry or who you have a child with really matters. It's kind of the most important thing as far as the family's happiness, but also your, as a spouse, as a mom, like your ability to like fulfill your core values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you read um, Tiffany Dufu's book, Drop the Ball? No, but of course, know it very well of it and it's been referenced forever. Yeah, because she talks a lot about the all-in partnership, which and she talks about women being at the peak of their careers at the same time they're childbearing, and exactly along the lines of the statistics that you just shared, like how common that is. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that's really important to be thoughtful of. I also am very fueled by people's doubts, and so when I was pregnant, my accountant and my financial advisor were both like, "Well, since you're going to be making less money now," and I was like, "Oh, hashtag watch me! Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be making less money because I now have a child." And and anything, I will double my income like this coming year because you said that. So um, I think that we can, I like the idea that we can be fueled by societal doubts (laughs) that that women are likely to make less money after having kids. And let's challenge that and make that not be true. Right. Well, I have also discovered that for me, when when I had my first son, my first was a a boy, that... um, because I had the core values established and I wanted to still be out there making an impact in my work, um, but also realistic about how I could do that, right? I'm not going to like be able to get on a plane every week or do something that requires a lot of time away from home. So I started a podcast and that led to building a new platform and presence that then led to more money actually. Yeah. So I have a theory that if you really are determined Becoming a mom can actually make you richer. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the case for you? So 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I also think you get way more clear on what's important to you and motherhood. And so for some women, I think that I think some women get really clear on like they want to follow that success path and they get really good at being uh, uber productive in their periods when they have the opportunity to be productive, whether that's between nine to five hours or not. And I think other women are like, I want to, you know, take X amount of years off or back off and put my career second tier right for right now. And I think that's fine too. I think that for me, um, because of the clarity around my core values after having my son that they were, it was so integrated into motherhood and having a platform around that, that I was like, this is going to be a moneymaker for sure. And so I gave myself after I sold the gym, I was like, I need to get this podcast to a six figure business within a year of selling the gym. And I did that. Um, and now in the second year, it will be a multiple six figure business. And so for me, having it be successful was part of the core values wrapped around like part of being a shameless mom for me is going after what I want and being of service to the extent that I can be a model of building wealth on my own terms. So I kind of don't have a choice now that I have to go do that. Like (laughs) if you say it out loud, then you're like, okay, well, guess we got to go make this happen. (laughs) Um, But I think the accountability that comes with saying it out loud is, is, very significant. So I think that women who aspire for, to toward those kinds of goals and ambitions really need to be saying them out loud because mm-hmm. then your your partners, your employers, your supporters in your life and your mentors are going to hold you to that to a higher level of accountability and they're going to they are going to expect to see you follow through on that. And I think a lot of times we keep it we shrink in those aspirations mm-hmm. where we're like, "Well, I'm going to keep it in the back of my head and not really talk about it just in case it doesn't happen." Yeah, we're scared, you know, yeah. to admit, oh, yeah. to admit these goals because they may seem lofty or what, what have you. Right. This question comes from our sponsor, Chase. With this month, we're asking guests to describe something that they do with their money that equates to financial security. Ooh, good question. Um, okay. So <laughs> one of the things that I did, um, I guess I'll talk about our looking at interest rates, this is like, I feel like <laughs> anyone who knows me would die that I'm talking about interest rates. Cause I don't really know what I'm talking about with these things. But <laughs> uh, one of the things I did after I sold the gym is I had this chunk of money and what I really wanted to do was like, let's go buy a lake house. And it wasn't quite enough to do what I wanted to do in terms of buying a lake house. And so instead I looked at financial security around I just sold a company and now my goal to get back to a six figure income is going to take some time. And what is the smartest thing I can do to make that happen in terms of our current debt? And so I looked at interest rates on my student loans. I looked at interest rates on our, we did a major remodel on our basement and looking at those kinds of things, looking at, can I save or can I, um, put money into a savings account and how does that interest rate compare to, the interest rate on the basement remodel. And so I looked at all those different things to see like what makes the most sense and also gives me some security. So what I ended up doing was putting a pain off a big chunk of the basement um, because that had the high interest rate and then putting some money in a place where I can still access it if, if I have a rough month or phase of the business that I'm growing. And so again, because I'm someone who likes that security, I was like, I need to have something that's accessible. And that for me, cause we did talk, I talked with my husband, like, well, what if we did go all in on this lake house? But then we both decided like, we're going to have a lot of money tied up in real estate, which in a freak accident, we could not immediately access. And so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how we got 
we were we created some secu- uh, security and stability with this resource, which originally. When I thought about selling the gym, I was like, it's going to be like winning the lottery. And then it very quickly was like this very boring, practical. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this is what we're doing. This is not nearly as fun. But yeah. Totally. Yeah, I can. I mean, well, it's good. You got to do the boring stuff first. And that's the thing. I mean, it did feel super boring, but it also felt like this is going to create peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so like I'm still so now I'm like now I need to save money for a Peloton. <laughs> like, uh, I'm like, why didn't which, I just buy the Peloton hey, for the gym money? <laughs> I have yet to meet a Peloton owner, and I've met three of them. Uh, so please take my advice, uh, my anecdote with a grain of salt. They obsessed are obsessed with it. They you love know, it. They I think know it, I'm going to love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a big investment, so you got to already be in it. You know, you're going to be a cyclist. It's not like if you've never cycled before, like this is not your opportunity. No. Oh, I I used to teach spin class, so I know I'm going to love it. It's, but it's been like this, now it's this joke about like, when am I going to like allow myself? And I know you and I know Rachel Rogers in common and she and I have a joke about it. Like I hosted my first conference this year, Shameless MomCon. And I was like, my reward for Shameless MomCon is going to be a Peloton. But then we got new hardwood floors. And I was Ah. like, Damn it. Which, you know what? It's going to appreciate your house. And and that was exactly like we got the hardwoods Mm -hmm. instead of the luxury vinyl because it helps the house value. So I was like, there goes my Peloton. You'll get (laughs) it one day. Yeah. And I, but I think that that like having that level of responsibility and thoughtfulness around money is really important. And especially as you do come into, and which happens in entrepreneurship sometimes where you feel like you have these little, you know, windfalls here and there. Um, and but then you also, it's like, it can very much be feast or famine. So a oh, windfall in May does me. not, yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean there's going to be a windfall in June or July or September, you know? So yeah. I yeah. I, I've come to the conclusion that for every dollar I make, I can pocket 50 cents <laughs> yeah. because with really with taxes and I pay, you know, uh, my ma- manager's fee and like, that doesn't mean that that's 50 cents that I can just go and buy a Peloton with. Like that's right. also, I have right. to, you know, pay my bills with that. I have to pay into my investments with that. I have to pay for school tuition. And, you know, so at the end of the day, I really have like three cents for myself. <laughs> right. right. You're like, and I'm still going to get that latte. Starbucks. <laughs> right. And I'm, you know what? I get the latte. I'm all for the latte. <laughs> uh, my, my drink, right? What are you drinking right now? I drink a iced uh, Americano because the cold brew makes me really jittery. This time of year. I have not tried cold brew because I like hot drinks. Mm. Um, I'm boring. I drink. I actually I live in Seattle and I probably go to Starbucks three times a year, which is like oh. I feel like it's like socially inappropriate in these parts. But I drink drip coffee with cream and sugar. It's very boring, <laughs> but it's free old relatively school. speaking. It's old school. Old is the new new. <laughs> Exactly. It's in my house first thing in the morning. Like I have friends who go to coffee shops every morning. I'm like, so you like wait two hours for coffee? That's crazy. So is it (laughs) is it not cool to go to Starbucks in Seattle? I mean, people do all the time. It's like a social taboo. So well, I would say that I don't I mean, I think a lot of people go to Starbucks all over the world every day. In Seattle, it's I mean, a lot of people support Starbucks definitely. But there's definitely a whole like army of people who support independent coffee shops over Starbucks mm. because 
Starbucks is like big. I mean, this is the, the conflict that comes with living in the city that has Starbucks and Amazon, where we're like, we really should support small businesses, but then we prime everything and actually do end up at Starbucks every day. <laughs> so, um, and then we joke, but we're supporting a local business. So I, in my, I have no beef with Starbucks. I just don't want to go spend five bucks on a coffee every day. I don't think that's the best use of my money. I would rather go like buy a cute shirt. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the month with the money I save. Um, so yeah, I, and I also want my coffee at my house, like within five minutes of waking up in the morning. So I'm not going to go to Starbucks to get it. You know what? I think I want to start asking guests all the time now, like, what are they drinking? What What is their brew? What is their yeah. brew of the day? Because um, we're all drinking it. No one's going like to their latte question. or no, their, know. you know, what is it? Drip coffee with two sugars. I don't know. What did you say? You get, you do oh, cream, cream and sugar, cream and sugar. Yep. Um, all right. Sarah Dean. Thank you so much. Everybody run to subscribe to the Shameless Mom Academy. I can't wait to come and join you on your show later this year. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been really, really awesome. To learn more about Shameless Mom, head out to shamelessmom.com and follow on social media, shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook and on Instagram at Shameless Mom Academy. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. And if you have a question for me for our Friday episodes, click on Ask Farnoosh and leave a question there. You can also leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. So money.